Welcome back to How AI Built This, the podcast dedicated to data storytelling uh, and speaking to some of the most interesting people and companies in the world of AI. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Associates, technology recruitment experts. Um, so a huge thank you to them for their support. Today on the show, we've gone slightly international. I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Gil Ninve, VP of Product Management at Edgeify, an Israeli-based machine learning startup doing something pretty unique and I think unheard of, actually. So welcome to the show, Gil. Thank you for having me. Exciting to be here. You're very welcome. So usually on the show, we start on a bit of a kind of education background and a bit of a whistle stop tour through your career. Um, We will do that today, but we'll make sure we've got time to cover uh, everything Edgeify related um, because it's very exciting. So going back to the start or the start of your LinkedIn profile anyway, you started your kind of career in tech as a software developer for the Israel Defense Forces, right? Exactly. Uh, Here in Israel, we all have like mandatory army service. Usually it's about three years. Uh, But if you do some special uh, training, then you have to sign on for more years and you you do a little bit of like professional army service. So that's my path, six years in the Israeli army altogether. Uh, I signed on for a special uh, tech placement program uh, called uh, Mamram. That's the brand. It teaches you how to code, write software code, and then you you get also a chance to use it as part of your army service. So that was pretty cool. Nice. As a way to get into the this world. Yeah, no, it's very it's a very unique way of getting into it. Did you have an interest in software development kind of coding prior to that, or was it one of the options that just kind of jumped out at you when you were looking at what you were able to do? It was one of the options. I actually had no background. There's a story I like to tell. I, I when I was going to my friend's house, usually like. His kid brother would set up the game for me if I wanted to play. It was that remote from uh, from PC at the time. But they, they teach you from scratch. Like they do some screening before to see like your abilities based on your studies um, in high school or something. They have like a, a good screening program, I guess. And it, it builds you up from, from the bottom, from nothing. They teach you whatever you need to know. It's quite unique. Six months, they get you from nothing up to a point where you can write code. Uh, in like you do the course for half a year, then you get into a unit. So nice. So I guess it's kind of like I don't I don't know if it's the same in Israel just now, but in the UK there's been a lot of um, like intensive like coding, like almost like bootcamp style things coming exactly. up, and and they've actually worked really well. Like they get people with no base. Oh, they've got a baseline. Like they they've passed like an entrance test or something like that. But they they're not software developers, and in six months they're trained to a really decent level. And so it's like an early version of that. Exactly, exactly. That it's like a boot camp. Like you said, boot camp. That's what I'm thinking of. Like six months, and because it's army service, like they own you. <laughs> <laughs> then like like you go from the morning until the evening. Like it's a. Uh, very, very, very intense. Uh, one of the reasons I signed up for it because it's it's pretty known in Israel. Like you hear about you hear about Mamram, you say, okay, this is a good program to go to, and you know that it's worth the effort of six months, morning to evening, uh, and you get to a pretty decent level. Nice, it's really amazing, actually. And, um, and by the way, your instructors your instructors are 18, 19 years old as well. Like it's, it's like it's guys and girls who just studied this program like a year ago or something. Like it's a very good program. Yeah. Obviously, there are officers involved and like tech, uh, I don't know, guidelines involved, but like the actual execution of the program, it's like other soldiers only a year or two older than you. Oh, nice. Um, and it must have been, a, I mean, I suppose you wouldn't have known any, any different, but like looking back at it, it must have been a pretty like interesting introduction to software development. Because obviously, the problems you were then working on are pretty unique, right? It's not like you're working for 
I don't know, like any other tech company, like it's it's totally unique to the the army. Yeah, exactly. Like you 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 get a different unit after the course. Uh, so my specific unit was far removed from things you do in the civilian world, but you constantly compare, like you constantly compare, like you with other friends who go to other units to do stuff more about, I don't know, HR or inventory management, which has some relations to what happens in the, in the civilian industry. Um, so you get a chance to compare. Um, and also once you finish your army service and you go to the real world, I call it, then you also see the differences about uh, how you approach problems or how, like there, there are different um, there are different trade-offs and balances when choosing what to do, like as projects in the army versus the civilian worlds. Like in the army, money plays a role, but less of a role when you decide to go into a project. Whereas in the civilian world, it's more about you know money, gains, profit, etc. Yeah, that makes usually. Sense. And then you spent another couple of years in software development after the army working on, you work for a company, right? But they help like the ambulance service. Is that right? Exactly. There's a Israeli national uh, ambulance service. And I worked there like as a software engineer. And I did that while studying at the university because you finish these six years of your army service. You know, like you're, you're professionally adequate to perform work right mm. in the software world as a software engineer yet you don't have like an actual academic degree so i chose to study uh, business management and east asian studies and i actually did this job as sort of like a way to you know stay up to date on the tech side of things get a salary it was an interesting time nice so you were uh, trying to you were juggling a lot of plates at the same time yeah, exactly um, you then kind of changed direction from technical roles into i don't know what we'd now call more like product focused positions how did that come about and like what what made you decide to make that kind of switch i suppose so so i guess it was all, always there also from the army days i was interested in about what you do with the software we develop also in the israeli ambulance service days i was always joining the ambulance ride and trying to see the people how they use the software uh, we develop and and uh, and even by studying what I studied, I studied, as I mentioned, East Asian studies and business management. I was always interested on the other side of tech. I, I, always, I always like tech. I always will like tech. But I'm also interested in what people will what will do and can do with this tech. And we'll touch that later on when we talk about Edgify, how this can change the way people interact and enjoy what tech has to offer. Um, so as soon as I computed, completed my uh, academic degree, that was a chance for me to go to China to practice uh, the East Asian studies and Mandarin that I learned in the in the university, and that's when I did the transition to product. So I joined the startup that I, I was in charge of the product there, um, and that led me back. So after two and a half years in China, I came back to Israel and again dived into product. So that's how I managed to do the transition by going to the startup in China and and getting back to Israel to a proper product uh, position in, in Sears. Uh, let's mention a few words about Sears. I think it's interesting. So Sears, it's yes, it's the American uh, mass market retailer uh, at the time. I'm talking about 2011, something about that time. Huge chain with a lot of stores, uh, department stores, online, offline, sending a, selling a bunch of products from whole different categories. And the Israeli subsidiary of Sears it was actually a startup bought by Sears, and we were in charge, um, and that's where AI comes into play. Uh, we were in charge of their uh, social commerce efforts and their loyalty efforts. 
okay? And we try to connect the two. So like we, we were in charge of the loyalty uh, program of Sears and Kmart. And not, a lot of people don't know that, but Sears and Kmart are actually part of the same company. Yeah, I didn't know that. And they, they're owned by the same company, Sears Holdings. Uh, they have the same loyalty program. It was called Shop Your Way. And we tried looking at the data of the loyalty program. And, and you probably know that a lot of loyalty programs, the, the magic happens beneath the hood. And there's a lot of AI involved there about how you take the data and play around with the data and, and provide value from the data that you collect uh, from the customers who identify themselves as they make their transactions um, across time. Uh, and we tried not only to build a better loyalty program, but also to connect it into social uh, and connect like uh, and, and develop some sort of like a community of the Shop Your Way members. And, and we also tried leveraging a lot of data for that as well and huge amounts of data and finding ways to, again, provide value by recommending things like people like you or your friends or subject, suggesting friends. It's not really friends for you, just like on LinkedIn, you follow... Uh, like you have different friends on LinkedIn than your friends on Facebook, right? Because it's like two different uh, context worlds. Uh, so we try to make the same for e-commerce. Like you'll have your friends that you trust their commercial opinions. So you not necessarily need to be a friend of theirs. It, you just connect with them because you trust what they have to um, say about stuff. Uh, and that was actually my first uh, um, entrance into the world of AI to see what AI or big data can do. That was pretty amazing. So that's where like the the technical background comes in handy. So you do uh, product work for a few years, and you're focused about the user experience and and market fit and things like that. But having the technical background came in handy uh, when you start talking about uh, the tech side of things. Yeah, no, I bet. Um, and obviously, we'll get onto it in a little minute. But I can, as it turns out, your experience in retail is is proved to be quite useful um but i think it, it's almost kind of a bit of a theme of your career like you switch between having the technical background to then the product then the domain knowledge it, can, it kind of has worked quite well for you but yeah you decided to leave sears after like six or seven years uh and joined a startup called pixanai which was like three years ago or so i suppose tell us exactly. tell us why you joined them back then and kind of what the idea was before we get into kind of what what it's turned out to be um, so uh, I've been a part of like a big product group in Sears for six years. There's this whole like uh, tech scene and startup scene, and I always felt missing out on it while being in, in the Sears Israel. Um, so I knew I wanted a startup as a product group manager. I knew I wanted to focus on product, being a VP product. And I, I, I looked at the right uh, combination of tech and the ability of a startup to have the founders understand that they want to bring on like a VP product, someone who can push the product forward. There's a big thing for VP products to find their out founders that you can work together with them. And because usually uh, startups, when they start up for the first few years, uh, the founders themselves hand, uh, handle the product, right? Yeah. And then that's how I met Ofri and Adav. They were right at that point in time. Um, and I really like to see that, how... Uh, also, we had like good chemistry finding them. And they did something very interesting in Pixanai. So the company was called Pixanai back in that day, 2017. And there was a huge uh, product challenge. There was a, a uh, very interesting tech. Might sound even scary tech. The tech for Pixanai was once you give uh, permission, 
uh, uh, would uh, it's an SDK that you put inside apps. So once you give permission to an app that uses Pixonai, the SDK of Pixonai would scan your image gallery, your entire image gallery, without copying any image out of your phone. So it will scan your image gallery on your phone and then uh, profile you and say, hey, you're a father, you're a mother, you have... Um, you're married, you're not married, you have a dog, you don't have a dog. There were so many things we could learn about people just from scanning their images, but without taking the images out of the phone. It was very important for us. We were GDPR compliant as well. And and, and, the, and the product uh, challenge for me joining uh, Pixonai was how do you convince people uh, as part of the UX of the product side of things, how do you convince people to give you permission to scan your gallery? Okay. Uh, so that's what, like, so together with working with Offering Nadav, the founders that uh, are welcoming the VP product aboard and joining a high-tech, deep-tech startup and this product challenge, all this together brought me into Pixonai. We're talking about Pixonai then very quickly. So we had, like, nice ideas about, so we joined, uh, we have, like, Santander, the bank, as our investor in the company up until today. Um, like, and the reason I'm mentioning that we tried taking it to the world of finance and insurance because these were the worlds where we, um, we found it easier for people to accept uh, and give the permission to an app from a vendor like insurance or bank to scan their gallery because they knew what they were getting from it. Like they were getting a, a discount on their insurance or some better credits at their bank, et cetera. But still, um, we found out that because we were so keen on GDPR and not moving that outside of the phone, we started, we, we found ways of training the models without uh, moving the data from your phone. Okay, so the, the group came up with the technology for training uh, AI models on phones and then it's not, and collaboratively, because it, you want to train on a lot of data on the, and the model that will work on different uh, people. So they found a way to collaboratively train models and uh, across phones. And it turned out that here was a very interesting piece of tech uh, that we thought, and we did some research, some market research about it, some strategic research, and found out that, hey, this opportunity is so much bigger than Pixonai as the Pixonai SDK. And again, it came back together with the... Cambridge Analytics uh, debacle with uh, Facebook, right? And it was a, a good po- a point in time to do the switch. Uh, and that's how we became Edgify, actually, uh, about two years ago. Nice. And, um, yeah, so we'll get into Edgify in just a sec. But I remember when we uh, – actually, it's kind of like – it's a typical startup story, right? Like you start doing one thing and then another opportunity kind of presents itself. That's kind of how loads of companies start out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you said to me uh, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago that it was, I think it was during one of the funding rounds maybe when you were still Pixanai, but one of the professors of machine learning from kind of university. Oh, right. Th- that was one of my moments in the company, actually. So we were doing our, I believe, I think it was round A or seed of Pixanai uh, as part of the finance round Um uh, Octopus Ventures, it's a known uh, UK uh, VC. Uh, uh, they did a due diligence and they sent over a professor of machine learning to interview the, uh, our, our algorithms team. And they were sitting with him and explaining how Pixonai works and how we train the algorithms. And, and they mentioned to him, yeah, and we're also working on this uh, very interesting in, um, initiative about training the, mach- the machine learning uh, AI algorithms on the edge. And I remember his face that he just, you know, he just dismissed it and, and said, 
No, no, you guys, are, you mean like uh, doing the prediction on the edge, right? You're not talking about the training. And they told him, no, no, we're talking about training, training AI models on the edge. And I'm talking about 2017. Okay, it was at the end of 2017. And I remember his face looking at, at our team and, and he looked at them like they're crazy or like they're uh, joking or like they don't know what they're talking about. And I remember that face because it made me stress a little bit coming in. I, I was new to this world of tech, uh, of AI specifically. And, and then seeing a professor dismiss their idea so fast, it was a, a bit alarming for me. And then, and then there was like a 30 minutes conversation, how they broke this problem into bits for him and explained how they're going to uh, approach this and solve this step after step. And I could see his face change from like uh, joking at them into like uh, appreciating and, 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 and becoming interested and engaged. And he said, and even like in his summary to Octopus in like his due diligence summary, he said, they're, they're also trying to solve a very huge problem I'm not sure it can be solved, but seems like they have a direction how to solve it. Um, and I really like this to tell this story because again, at that time, 2017, like uh, the Google federated algorithm was just coming out. Not too many people read about it. Specifically that professor didn't hear about it at that point in time, or maybe it was just before uh, that paper came out. So it was at point in time that talking about training on the edge was crazy, just crazy to talk about it. Today, when you talk about it, and we'll talk about it later on, it's still very innovative, and a lot of people don't know about it, and a lot of people still have, um, it's not that easy to connect to this idea. I think it is a paradigm change, and I, and I love talking about it, but I like talking about that specific point in time where it was still pure crazy to talk about it, and that was a really uh, interesting and exciting uh, meeting to be part of. And seeing his face change from like joking to to taking it seriously. Yeah, no. That's and, yeah, and, today, and and by the way, by the way, today like it's there's no doubt that we can do it. We did it. We're showing how it works. Uh, we're now in the in another zone where uh, it's about you know educating the market about what you can gain from it, and because people will need to do some changes in the way they work in order to enjoy these values. It's a it's a it's a it's a change of. Uh, approach uh, but we're not we're not so we're not where we used to be where we're talking about is it feasible we're already okay it's feasible now let's talk about how how to do it and what you gain from doing it yeah no so let's jump in then so there's a couple of things so now the company is edifies that are picks and i you yeah you've had these meetings you you've you've kind of got in place and, and we'll talk now a little bit about kind of where you're going to implement it but just to take it back very slightly in case people are wondering or they're not as technical as some of the people on the show how do you explain to someone what training on the edge or on on an edge device means or even like an example of what that means just so people mm -hmm. can picture it before we go into how you guys are implementing it sure uh, let's start by talking about like regular training, like the standard way of training a deep learning model, right? You collect data, right? And usually collect it from the real world. So a lot of people, when they go into uh, the machine learning world, they talk about training on data. There are a lot of data sets out there on the web that you can use to study and train, I don't know, CIFAR 10 or ImageNet, et cetera. So, but even these data sets, if you think about it, someone had to go and get and capture those images. 
so usually uh, I, I like to say, even if you can gain access to a data set on the web, the data came from the real world. It came from an edge device somewhere who captured its data. Okay, so I'm talking about standard training on uh, centralized servers. There's data coming from edge devices somewhere. You store it on a server. Then you run training on that data on a server. You get a model that was trained by, you know, uh, iterating over the data in the server. And once you have a model, you deploy it somewhere, uh, whether it is an edge device or another server, that uh, that's what you use for prediction or inference. Okay, so... When we're talking about training on the edge, like a lot of people, when they say AI on the edge, they're, they, they're talking about the inference part, the prediction part, that you just run the prediction, you put the model on the edge device, and you use that model on the device for prediction. That's also not that simple, and, 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 and there are a lot of challenges there as well. We do training on the edge. Now, what does that mean? We know that data is collected uh, on the edge, and we and we tell companies, listen, when you collect data, when you generate data uh, on your edge devices, let's say a self-checkout, or let, let's talk about retail because that's like our number one use case. Let's talk about self-checkouts, and you want a model, let's say, to identify fruits and vegetables. Okay, you have a self-checkout, you have, let's say you have a camera on your self-checkout, and you want your customers when they place in a, a banana, we don't want customers to go into the menu and choose a banana. We want the camera to see the banana and tell them, hey, you just place the banana uh, on the scales and you can weigh it. Okay, so it makes the self-checkout process much faster and easier uh, with less stress. So if you want a model like this, uh, you will uh, collect images of bananas on a scale, right? Because if you just go to the web and find images of bananas, it might help you, but it wouldn't be as uh, accurate as possible. You want the data to be as close to the real world situation where you're going to run your inference or prediction, right? So if you want the best model to identify apples and bananas on self-checkouts, uh, the best thing for you will be to capture a lot of images of bananas and apples on self-checkout with the right position and angle and lighting um, and everything. And once you have those uh, sets of images, the standard way to do it is copy all those images to a central server and go through the process I mentioned earlier, right? With Edgify, what we enable is, hey, don't copy the data, okay? You have a bunch of images on each self-checkout, images of bananas and uh, apples, and you also have, you have the samples, you also have what we call the ground truth or the labels, right? Like when, when people took pictures of those bananas and apples as part of their self-checkout process, they also confirmed or chose what they put on the scales. So we have what we need on the, on the edge devices, right? We have, let's say we have... Uh, network of 100 self-checkouts, and each one has about 1,000 images of apples and bananas. And each image, we know what's an image of an apple and what's an image of, of a banana. What Edgify enables is each device will run the training process on the data that it has on its own device. And we have uh, uh, a component we call the Edgify Collaborator, okay? which uh, just enables that uh, the connection, the collaboration between the devices to produce a global model based on the, uh, on the each unique devi uh, device model that was trained on each device. Okay, now, uh, and we enable not only that, we also enable hierarchies. So let's say you have a store, in each store you have 10 devices. We have an in-store collaborator, okay, which collaborates between those 10 devices in that store. Uh, and it enables um, that store to produce, let's say, one model based on the 10 devices. And again, none of the images left the, 
the device, uh, each of the devices. Uh, our collaborator enables to do the aggregation of the models just based on the deltas and the learnings uh, of the model. And then we have also a cross-site collaborator. So it, it, I'm, I'm com uh, complicating my example as we go along. We, we, I talked about 100 uh, uh, self-checkouts. So let's say it's like 10 self-checkouts in each store and we have 10 stores. So, so that's the topology of that uh, network. So our cross-site collaborator uh, lives in an environment of uh, high latency and low bandwidth, right? Because there's high latency between the stores. So it's a different challenge to collaborate between 10 sites rather than collaborating inside between 10 devices. I hope I'm not overcomplicating. I'll be happy to elaborate. No, no, that makes sense. Um, and I was going to go into the fact that, yeah, the, the, the retail seems to be the first kind of obvious uh, use case. And obviously, that's where your background is as well. It wasn't that obvious at all. Like when we were in the mobile world and identifying this technology is interesting, the, the, the key part here, like the key value that we bring is that you don't need to copy the images. And immediately we thought about privacy use cases like or problems where it's hard for you to copy the data or it's uh, or you're not allowed to copy the data from the edge devices. So initially, when we did the transition from Pixelmate to Edgeify, initially we thought about the medical world. We thought about maybe autonomous cars. So, so that was our first thoughts, and 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 we and we and we had a, a lot of very interesting conversation with uh, data science teams from a lot of industries, manufacturing, smart homes. Turns out that retail sort of like pulled us in, okay? Because retail is in a very exciting and, and, and I would say exciting point in time of transition right now as an industry, given Amazon Go, obviously, that's uh, uh, shifting the market and showing the world that uh, shopping can be done differently. And this is even before COVID. Now with COVID, a lot of other things are happening in the retail world. Like, But we got into retail uh, pre-COVID, and I'll talk about COVID in a minute if you want. But when we were pulled in, into retail, we just saw an, an industry with very low mar margins, constantly looking to innovate and finding the edge and competing about how to improve uh, margins. And it's a mass market. It's, like a, it's, a, it's an industry with a lot of data. Uh, if I go back to the technology that we offer and the value that we offer, our abilities uh, help companies where they have models that they constantly need to train and retrain. And when they have huge amounts of data, as I explained earlier, like the, the, the topology of how we like, because each, each device doesn't have a lot of compute power. It just has to have enough compute power to handle the data that it generates on the specific device. Now, if I want to compete against an, uh, an Amazon cloud server, then we come in handy when there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of devices uh, so that the amounts of data in scale starts, uh, there's like a, uh, economies of scale of training on huge amounts of data and huge amounts of devices compared to copying a lot of data and then having like troubles with scale on your Amazon server because there's also like distributed training on servers, etc. So... Retail pulled us in because they have a lot of data, a lot of devices. They, they, we saw this problem of uh, fresh produce that you constantly need to train the model and retrain it. Like a banana today doesn't look like a banana tomorrow, even the same banana. And if you change your suppliers from one farm to another also, so things are constantly changing uh, in the way that products look like. 
And that was a very interesting use case and industry that just pulled us in. Plus, we were surprised to see the pace of the industry, retail, right? Because talking about health, everything. So we are talking with health and we are uh, running proof of concept of our technology in the medical world as well, in the hospital in Israel. Yet the pace it's moving and the uh, regulations and, and everything and legal, everything moves Slow, slowly for us, at least in the, the medical world. And the retail just pulled us in, saw a lot of excitement. We're, we're, we're talking about something that helps self-checkout. COVID came along about uh, uh, in February and, and, and a lot of retailers are implementing a lot of self-checkout machines because you would like to reduce the interactions between human beings now that COVID is around. Uh, and, and one of the big caveats of self-checkout is what do you do with the fresh produce that you have? Like that's, it's a very stress, stressful moment as part of your user experience as you approach the self-checkout and you have this bag of apples and you have absolutely no idea what type of apples you have in your hand. And I mean, even when you look at the pictures in the menu, when you need to choose and search for what type of apples am I holding? And again, this is something that a trained human being would identify, pink lady versus a red delicious apple, but not all of us are trained as human beings to identify an apple, a pink lady apple to red delicious apple. And, there are, and the price is about twice between the two, right? Yet you train a computer vision model once uh, to identify. And with Edgify, you need to train it constantly because the red delicious, you would be surprised how red delicious apples look differently from one another. Uh, I, I'm actually like a, a, an expert in fruits and vegetables now. Uh, I want to take this aside for a minute. Uh, we, we set up like, a, we call it uh, the Edgify store inside our offices just to demonstrate our technology. Now with COVID, we can't bring people over and we can't take people to, to have like actual meetings. So we set up like a store in our office. It looks like a store. It's not a real store. I'm not selling anything there. And, I call about, and each week at the beginning of the week, I go and buy fruits and vegetables. And then I put them in my office. It's actually my office. And I actually work in a, in a store, by the way. Like It's also my office, like my room in the office. Um, and when we do demonstrations, we connect over uh, uh, video chat. I connect with uh, one device uh, like as a camera to see me and see the store. And then the self-checkout itself also joins the, the video meeting. And then I can do share screen of the UI of the self-checkout. And then I can show the experience of, what it's like to go through a self-checkout or uh, there's something called PC scale. I'm not sure you're, you're aware of. A lot of companies don't have a self-checkout. They have a PC scale. It's a scale connected to a PC. That's where you weigh your fruits and vegetables and you get a barcode there. And then you go to the self-checkout, you already have the barcode. So uh, we deployed our technology both on a PC scale on a, and we ha actually have a, a full-blown self-checkout that we got from uh, one of the retailers in Israel. They send it over to our office to practice and develop and also demonstrate our technology so people can join a meeting with me and I can do a, a demonstration of what it's like to go through a self-checkout or PC scale flow uh, with fruits and vegetables. Um, so it's actually like just like a funny story that, that I work in a, uh, in a store. So I'm, I'm an expert now in uh, fruits and vegetables, in, uh, specifically in apples. S some of the apples, at least uh, the ones that I saw so far. And, and going back to what AI has to offer, regardless of Edgify, you train an AI model once to identify, uh, you teach it, you show it enough of samples to identify between um, uh, different things. And, and, and the rule of thumb that we tell our, our, our prospects, if, if you're able to train a human being to do something, 
with enough data, uh, accurate data, you'll be able to train uh, an AI model to do the same. And with Edgify, we're, we also enable companies to do it ongoingly uh, on the real on real world data. So we what we avoid what we call data drift. That and and this happens a lot, specifically in the use case that I mentioned of identifying fruits and vegetables. You don't really you can solve it without Edgify at least once, right? You copy all your data, you put it on your server, and you have a model that identifies fruits and vegetables. Yet. If the data starts changing and if lighting conditions change in the store, if you change vendors, there will be a data drift and it will not work again for you. So you'll need to go through this whole process again and again, constantly copying data from your real world uh, edge, edge points uh, to your server and retrain models and move around a lot of uh, huge amounts of data and huge amounts of, um, and, and, and a lot of models uh, with Edgeify. We do it on the edge collaboratively and ongoingly. And you just leverage your idle computer capabilities of your existing edge devices. Yeah. Um, no, it's really cool. And uh, uh, it's such a good example of like a problem that companies maybe didn't even know they had. But once you had to kind of show them it, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can't remember if we, what we covered on this before. So correct me if I'm wrong. But part of your technology is kind of eradicating the needs for a huge amount of like reliance on the cloud, right? So does that save your customers a lot of money? Yes, definitely. So, um, and again, I'm going back to this example because it's it's most simply to ex- most simple to explain. Uh, if you wanted to do uh, training the the models, like I mentioned earlier, like in the standard way, you need to constantly copy data to servers, host that data. And then let's say uh, once a week or every day, uh, by the way, we recommend every, we train our models every night, like every night at the end of the shift at the supermarket, the devices run, train the models, and you come in next morning, you have a fresh model ready for you. If you want to do the same in, in, the, in the standard way of doing things, then each day you need to copy all your data from all your devices, or you need to do some tricks, right? You need to start filtering out data from the devices and then sending only a bit of the data. But Whatever you send, you need to have a server in the cloud or your data center to host all this data. And you need to have a strong enough server every day to run on all this data. Now, if we're talking about uh, the the retail use case, that's what we love about retail. There are a lot of uh, chains in Europe with thousands of stores and then like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of devices. If you want to do it the regular way, the centralized way, there's a lot of uh, server costs that you need, be it at the data center or the cloud. And with Edgeify, you don't need that, right? You leverage your spare capacity, like your idle uh, compute power that you have on the edge. Storage doesn't seem to be an issue as well. Like each device has enough storage to hold on uh, for the images for as long as we need it. Because once we train we can delete data from the devices. We only keep a limited amount of data on each device um, after we run a few iterations on it. Uh, so yes, it's, it, it reduces a lot of cost for data transfer and storage and most importantly, compute. Compute for people uh, listening to this podcast obviously know that the compute power and cost of compute for uh, running uh, deep learning models each day, it's... Yeah, it's something to be to be reckoned with, right? Yeah. Something to be t- taken notice. No, 100%. And I suppose kind of last thing on the application of it, and then we'll go into a little bit more uh, kind of more general stuff about the company, but mm-hmm. um, 
one of the things you mentioned earlier and it's probably worth noting you you mentioned that i don't know i think data scientists more than anyone will have to have a kind of change in their mindset Mm. like understand what you guys are trying to do or even just kind of like implement what you guys are trying to do so uh, have you found that a challenge when i don't know when you've been hiring people or even just explaining it to machine learning professionals so yeah so it requires a change in approach and, and it is a challenge for us when we come and speak with like teams working on problems Data scientists love their data. They want to have their data close to them. They want to be able to touch the data, see the data. Um, and you can't do like huge uh, uh, research without having access to your data. We get that. Like, but we come in, we need to find our challenges to find the teams once they have their first uh, version of a model ready. And now they need to do the continuous part, right? To continuously train the data. Yet still, it's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to explain to data scientist team that, hey, you can let go a little bit. Like you have your data that you trained your first version. Now we can help you continuously training on data that you will never see. Okay, like we are, we will have some features in industry that allow to pull specific data for debugging, right? But if you're talking about the medical world where privacy is king, what they do today, so we talked with uh, we, we talked with a lot of teams, a lot of data scientists team from different industries. And in the medical world, what they might do, they would go with a server, let's say a company that develops AI models for the medical, would go to uh, a medical facility, put the server there, train the model there inside the facility, so they're not moving data outside of the facility. Once they have a model in their hand, they'll go out with the model to another uh, medical facility and start training from that point on the other data that they will gain on the second facility. So they are they, they do understand, but it is a challenge because you're finding teams that already have certain sets and challenges and they have a way of doing things. And we're trying to show them a way to do it without uh, full access to the, their data and unleashing the power of training on endless data. That's also something that uh, I think there's a change in the world of AI as well. Like as there's adoption to AI and there are more use cases of AI, then there are more use cases where the data is limitless or, or, or huge. Even just for us, for our research, when we needed to find data to test a lot of the things that we are researching, we needed to develop our own data sets. Because even if you talk about like known data sets like ImageNet, from our standpoint, that's not a huge data set, right? It's uh, uh, in a lot of retailers, that's the amount of data created in a day in, in a subset of their stores. So there is a, a change in approach. There is a challenge there for us. But uh, but people who get it or see the value or need this ongoing capability, and as there is more adoption of AI in the world and there are more use cases coming along where the, the part about like huge data sets come in handy, that's where the adoption takes place of the Edgify technology. Uh, and I think, I'm, and again, I'm going back to our specific use case, uh, models for identifying fruits and vegetables uh, Companies in retail have been talking about it for more than 10 years, okay? And this would be a great example of how we're able to solve something, presumably because we do it the way we do with our approach, we're able to provide this solution at an acceptable cost uh, compared to, because that's why you don't see this widespread uh, solution across the markets of uh, models in self-checkouts. 
the biggest players in self-checkouts, each there's a conference each year called NRF in the United States, and there's a Eurosys or Euroshop in Europe that these are like annual uh, uh, shows. And you always see solutions for identifying fruits and vegetables, but you never see the adoption across entire chains. Like it's always like a, a magic trick to show, but you don't see it as a widespread solution across supermarkets across uh, Europe or the US or Israel. And we said we, we, uh, our hypothesis is that we will solve it uh, because we are solving it we, and we are offering it a, an acceptable price. So uh, we hope to see the retail industry adopt our solution and, and show the world that when we will have this use case and case study to show that, hey, because we brought this solution and this approach, we managed to solve something at an acceptable price that others didn't solve. Okay, so others did solve this problem, but not at an acceptable price for adoption across huge uh, retail networks. So that's how we plan to um, solve this challenge of teaching the world. Now, I do want to try to talk about the other parts of your question about, okay, when we come to recruit uh, data scientists to our team, so actually it's not a challenge, it's vice versa. It's a huge um, way to pull uh, uh, people into our company because it is a very challenging initiative uh, and people love it uh, as a chance to, uh, there's so much to research here about how to overcome all these challenges. There's compression involved and you need to uh, constantly think of different mathematical equations about how you choose what you send over the network in order to collaborate between the different nodes of the network, uh, uh, high bandwidth, low bandwidth, uh, high latency, low latency. Uh, and that's and, and our team constantly works on uh, uh, um, research papers to be published in like uh, uh, AI conferences. So for them, it's like a, it's like a party. It's not a uh, it's not a, it's actually easy for us to to recruit because there's so much to learn and do and innovate, and it's really exciting for for all of us actually. Nice. Um, and then I suppose just lastly, then. Um, Quite recently, I think last month, um, it was announced that you guys had just done a six and a half million dollar seed round, uh, which is obviously super exciting. Um, so tell us uh, to finish the show, kind of about the plans for Edify, maybe kind of the next six months or so, but then also kind of what's the what's the kind of grand plan? Um, so if we had you back in eighteen months, two years time on the show, like what what do you think it would look like? Our goal is to, let's say, uh, establish retail as an industry where training on the edge is like the best way of doing things. And we believe that's possible and that's the case. So that's what, let's say, 80, 90% of our efforts is in uh, proving our success in retail and establishing this as like uh, the proper way of doing, uh, of training, of continuously training models again. We would love data scientists team to train the first version of models in their labs to come up with new, because in retail, there are so many different models that you can train. It's not only fruits and vegetables. There's so many more interesting AI challenges in retail, but we would like to establish ourselves in the coming, in the coming year uh, as a provider for continuous training on edge devices in retail. And in the coming months, we would like to continue our proof of concepts in other industries. Because as Edgify, uh, we are seeing ourselves as bringing a new approach and a new way of, do, of training models, AI models in general. And each industry works a little bit differently. And we would like to provide a, an agnostic platform that can work in every industry. 
So in the coming year, we'd like to focus on two, in two more industries. So we have this proof of concept uh, in the medical space uh, where we want to show that you can train uh, models across different uh, medical facilities without moving around patients' personal uh, records. So that's one, for example. And the other one, we're not sure yet what would be the other industries. We're talking to a few and we're discussing proof of concept with a few more uh, verticals. But I would like if you if we come to meet a year or a year, or a year and a half from now, that I would be able to share with you the success of retail and share with you the first uh, point of success in at least two more industries uh, so that we so that we can establish ourselves like as a platform provider and and like our dream like our vision for the product is that data science team teams come to us from different industries and will be able to take our platform our framework and do magic on top of that and show us things that we didn't think about uh, I, I just want to touch one more thing about this like new approach is that there's a big piece that I didn't talk about that in order to do training on the edge, you need your data on the edge and you need your labeling, your ground truth on the edge. And we chose retail because it's very straightforward how the ground truth gets to the edge. Uh, I want to share with you how magical it is or how exciting it is to come up with new ways of how you get your ground truth to the edge because it's not that intuitive. Like in the retail, it's very intuitive. Like in this use case of, you know, Okay, the customers will choose the fruits and vegetables, but in other um, um, in other verticals, that's the challenge for us to find ways of how you get the ground truth to the edge. Because the the raw data itself, that's the part usually that you're not allowed to move, or you don't want to move, or you have like in computer vision, there's like a whole video, let's say a thirty second video, or or two minutes video that you want to train upon. Uh, yet the ground truth is just a simple few kilobytes of data that's just saying, hey. This two minutes of video, it's something that's about to happen. So you want to be able to, uh, to predict that based on this video, something's about to happen. So our, um, our challenge or the most exciting part for us now uh, is in each industry finding, okay, how can we find out uh, or imply the ground truth and then get it to the edge? Uh, for example, in the autonomous vehicles, when we talk with the autonomous vehicles industry, they have a term called pedal to the label. Right. When if someone clicked on the pedal, let's say the brakes, okay, it's a label, it's a brake, something that requires someone to brake happened. So you just transfer that part back to the car that has the entire video footage of what was, uh, you know, by the way, in this case, you don't transfer it to the car, it's already in the car, right? But I, I, it's a whole new, uh, chapter to talk about how you, how you, uh, imply ground truth and move just the ground truth and keep your, your your samples your raw data on the edge yeah no i mean it's wow. uh, that, that's one of the reasons i wanted to do the shows because it's just like it's totally different it's totally fa- kind of it's fascinating um and i think people will really enjoy listening to it and then even just from some conversations i've had before the show with people that i know that you can kind of see their like cogs turning where they're like ah like yeah we could maybe like maybe it would work on this and like they already have ideas just from like my basic mm-hmm. under, my basic explanation of it so yeah i can't wait to hear what people think of the show but Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'd love to have another chat next year uh, and see what you guys have done and, and where the products move to. So yeah, well, let, let's keep in touch for that. But um, I'll make sure once we get this posted to get Edgefy tagged up in it and get you in it. And then if people want to ask you questions or or, uh, or, or collaborate, then uh, I'm sure we can we can make that happen as well. But no, thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited talking about this new approach. 